Today's podcast is with futurist Web3 creator Jay Albert. Uh, Jay shares his insights from his professional experience working in blockchains, gaming, consulting, and much more. And we also chat about his thoughts of the future of technology. Also, he shares his latest project, Machine Dreams, an art project that gives a great visual look every hour at what is trending on Google in the US. However, since the time of recording, Jay has expressed that unfortunately that Machine Dreams will be ending soon. So be sure to check it out before it does on X, uh, aka Twitter, at uh, twitter.com forward slash machine underscore dreams underscore. All right, and so that's uh, twitter.com forward slash M-A-C-H-I-N-E underscore D-R-E-A-M-S underscore. All right, without further ado, let's get to the podcast. Hi, welcome back to the Nerve Ape podcast. This is Nerve Ape James, and I'm here with a special guest, Jay Albert. Yay! So uh, do you prefer Jay or Jonathan or? Uh, yeah, I usually go by Jay with everyone. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I'm just going to quickly read um, this bio that you have on your website. Jonathan Albert, or Jay, uh, is a futurist, reverse engineering the products and services of tomorrow today. He uh, turns visions into projects, projects into milestones, and milestones into tasks, providing software development teams with roadmaps to the future. Awesome. So yeah, and then it goes on to talk about your experience uh, in a multiple, many multiple areas of Web3, finance, politics, even language learning, which we'll talk about in a second. And uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, first off, I like to ask us, how are you doing? How's how's your day so far? Good? Good morning? <laughs> good evening? Yeah, good morning to you. Uh, my day's going pretty well. It's kind of towards the end of my day. I mentioned I live in Brooklyn right now. It's about uh, like 8.30 p.m. Uh, so it's towards the tail end, but it's been a great day so far. Oh, that's great to hear, man. Uh, so... Let's get into it. Uh, so I listed some questions here. Uh, we, you know, I may jump around a little bit, uh, but uh, you know, uh, we'll go through these. Uh, I have prepared some questions because I'm curious about. So for those that are listening, uh, Jay, uh, uh, I've I've spoken to Jay before in a different context, like with uh, related to the Nervape team. And at the time, you were with uh, uh, you were with the Nervos at the time. Uh, yeah, so I was working on the Godwoken God network. Uh, it was a gaming-focused blockchain uh, L2 rollup on the Nervous network. Right. So, yeah. So, uh, so with, uh, you know, connection with uh, Nervape, Nervos, uh, I got to speak with Jay before. And now he's working on a cool, exciting new project called Machine Dreams, which we will get into as well. And so before we get into that, let's start from the beginning. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background, Jay. Uh, you know, what were you interested in growing up? And then, you know, what did you study? Uh, yeah. So just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so a few different areas of interest kind of growing up was, of course, always tech. I've always played around with computers. Um, you know, I feel like it kind of runs in my family. My grandfather used to take apart like radios and different thing, technology you would see, and they kind of pass that along to me. Uh, so I've messed with computers for a while. I've been into video games uh, since pretty young age, played around with that. For a while, I was also really into music. I played about like six or seven different instruments at one point. Uh, I recorded two songs. I had like a whole MySpace thing uh, going on. <laughs> a MySpace, okay. Um, yeah, nostalgic. Yeah, so that, that was pretty fun. So kind of music, video games, technology, that was my main focus growing up. 
Nice, nice. And was it was it pretty um uh supported supportive uh sounds like yeah, your 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 grandpa was in the in, into tech as well like was it your was your family pretty supportive how about the area you grew up like i grew up in the silicon valley area so i was kind of like in that space um to be honest i was a little bit turned off sometimes by like some like the tech bros and whatnot but i grew up in that kind of atmosphere and i also saw the potential and the good side of of tech and, and where it can go but yeah how about yourself yeah yeah i mean i think i was the one who's more curious about tech out of everyone else. Um, you know, my dad was kind of into tech, my grandfather, but everyone else in my family was just kind of into a bunch of different fields, you know, like cooking, construction. Um, and within my community, there wasn't really a lot of resources for like building or anything. Even like the high school I went to was like an hour and a half away from my house. Oh, geez. Um, so I would just have to like travel a lot to get to these things. So there wasn't an immediate community, but I was always curious enough where I was kind of online looking for different tech, whatever's emerging, playing around with different things and seeing what's happened. It was just mostly curiosity. That's awesome, man. And so uh, in school, did you like, did you study uh, like, did you study finance? You study computer uh, science? Like what, what did you study in school? Yeah. Uh, so did I studied you have to computer study information. On okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Yes. I studied computer information systems, which is, kind of the business side of understanding computer systems, uh, mostly creating like UML diagrams, systems diagrams, being able to communicate an idea that a business person has all the way to a developer so that they can create the product and work with them to like test it out to make sure it works as expected. Oh, nice, man. Yeah. So were you doing that prior to the Web3 space uh, or like, like well, that was your main like gig, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, so prior to Web3, yeah, that was kind of what I was mostly focusing on, which is as far as like a job role that translates to business analysis. Yeah. So I did that for a finance firm, um, the marketing technology department, uh, just kind of helping us create systems to market to institutions, banks, endowment funds, pension plans, things like that. Gotcha. Okay. So... Yeah, so then comes along, um, you know, cryptocurrency, right? So this this melding of um, tech and finance, and uh, what you know, with the two thousand nine white paper, um, no, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, yeah, Bitcoin white paper, and uh, it's interesting because uh, I've I've been you know doing some research in the space, uh, and so there's. Finance and uh, Web three or crypto, right? Sometimes there's this uh, confusion or these these they, they, there's a lot of terminology buzzwords stuff like that that might confuse people. So uh, how how was it for you like learn like learning about crypto? Like did you how'd you learn about first of all how'd you learn about the Web three space and what got what got you interested? Let's start there. Yeah, yeah. So I don't remember exactly where the first time I heard of crypto was or Bitcoin. Bitcoin was the first thing I heard about. Um, but I was working at the finance company at the time. This was around, I want to say, 2014, 2015. I found out about Bitcoin. I started talking to my coworkers about it. They had no idea what it was. They're like, I've seen people talk about it online, but I don't really know. I don't trust it. It's just yeah. kind of a bonus <laughs> to it. Right, right. Um, so I did some research. I got onto a few different exchanges, which most of them are bad now. You can't even use half of these exchanges, especially oh, in New geez. York. Um, so I just got on there early on, experimented, started buying uh, Bitcoin, a few different altcoins. I think there was like five or six at the time that you could buy. 
Um, and just seeing what a trading platform looks like, uh, understanding the buys, sells, what limit orders are, market orders, um, and getting involved from the finance side of it. So I just kind of got into Bitcoin first. And from there, I just got led down the rabbit hole. Uh, the rabbit hole. Right? And many, many of us have are, are down or are currently down that going down that rabbit hole. Uh, the rabbit hole of Bitcoin crypto. Uh, so you, so I guess with your connection to finance, maybe people in your, your space were talking about crypto a little bit, uh, very curious given your having worked in finance, like, so you kind of saw the disruption, I guess, from, from the beginning, like how, what was that experience like? Yeah. Um, I mean, I tried to talk to a few different coworkers about it and they just weren't getting it. And I feel like I also <laughs> didn't understand it enough to be able to explain what this really means. Um, there was a book that I read called Blockchain Revolution that put it into perspective, this idea of like uh, black box identities, us being able to control our own data, the rise of NFTs before NFTs were even a thing. Uh, he was a great author. I, I forget his name, but person who wrote that book was way ahead of their time. And even some of the things they spoke about are still like yet to come. Oh wow! Um, so that helped put things in perspective. Uh, but yeah, I just went around talking to coworkers about it. They thought I was crazy at the time. There was one um, vice president at the company that kind of took it serious. He was a lot more senior than me. Uh, he pitched a product to our fund. But at the time, uh, we were managing about like $250 billion and uh, we we're mutual funds. So you can't just jump into products. There's a lot of regulations around what we invested in. So we weren't legally allowed to jump into Bitcoin. And at the time, he realized that with our minimum investments, we would become the market makers. And it was something that the company just wasn't interested in doing at all. Ah, okay. So they couldn't adopt. They couldn't be an early adopter, I guess. Or, yeah. yeah. No, not legally. And also financially, it was a huge risk if they were to do that. Ah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, you mentioned in your bio, uh, along with finance, uh, you're, uh, you start off with mentioning a futurist. So uh, maybe a lot of our listeners are not maybe familiar with this term. So what, what does this, what does a futurist mean to you? And, and why do you feel like we need futurists for, you know, the future or for the present? Yeah. Yeah. So I think a futurist is someone who studies emerging technology and tries to understand what are the implications for the future, whether it's good or what's bad. What does the new technology allow for us and how is it going to impact us? And I think it's important because there's a lot of things that could go wrong. I mean, Elon's been talking about AI for the past like 10 years saying like, we should have regulations about this before it's even out there. And now it's out there and people are like losing jobs in certain fields. It's already impacting them and we have no safety nets in place. We don't have a real way to address this. And AGI is already coming, right? We have a couple mm. of years, open AI is already talking about this. So what happens when a computer can do the programming, can do the QA, can do the marketing. We don't, we're not prepared for what that really means. So it's important for futurists to be in the room to kind of help people understand what's going on, to come up with ideas to advocate for, let's say, legislature or uh, for us as a culture to react to it. Um, so it's important to understand what's at risk and, and what's possible. Right. So it's kind of like, kind of looking into that crystal ball and say hey these are the kind these are the unforeseen circum uh, consequences and possibilities and then kind of going backwards like as you mentioned uh, reverse engineering and going from there and, and seeing how maybe to make it more you know 
I guess, ready ourselves, ready the human race for that eventual outcome or those consequences of these these technologies. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of implications for how we build things. So I think about this with like gaming in particular. Um, a lot of games you see on, let's say, like mobile, you'll have really kind of terrible games that are like mm. just feeding you ads every like board or two. Right. And the reason why I think that that exists is because uh, systems like Google Play, they've created an automatic ad system that tries to figure out like when is the right time to show a person an ad. So mm. now you have it constantly feeding people ad. And that's kind of the system that was built with the intention of just serving ads. And now all these games are being created within that framework and are serving people like tons of ads that no one really likes. And the games are super low quality just mm. to get you to look at an ad. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that could really disrupt the flow, especially like if you're in the game, all of a sudden like, oh, and it's like, uh, uh, in, in your bio, you also mentioned language learning. I, I'm also learning, I'm learning Japanese right now. Uh, I, I've, I'll, I've also studied uh, Mandarin. My family's from Taiwan. So I'm studying, I studied Mandarin before. Uh, how about yourself? Like, uh, what, what do you, what, what languages do you speak? What languages are you studying? Uh, are you using tech to study languages? Yeah, I'm curious about that. Yeah, so I speak uh, English, Spanish. Um, I have tried to come back on and off to Russian, mostly because a lot oh. of my friend group are native Russian speakers. Uh, so it's easy to kind of talk to their family or like understand what they're talking about. Uh, but that's been a bit of a struggle. Uh, so <laughs> I haven't really become fluent or anything even after years of trying to look at it. Uh -huh. um, but as far as the language learning that I have on my website, that actually goes back to a project that I worked on as a business analyst. Uh, I was recommended by a friend to this project. Uh, it was called Sereno at the time. Sorry, and okay. uh, what this guy wanted to do was teach people different languages. And he did it using like mnemonics, different phrases that people could remember. And he had this idea of, um, it's called like a mind palace. And it's a way of remembering things. So instead of, let's say, you learning these separate things in Spanish of like apple, table, you would picture yourself going through scenes. So I walked into the house, my keys were on the table, my you know lamp was on, it was sunny outside, and you're creating this scene and you're saying the scene, let's say, in Spanish, so that you remember all these different things and you're associating them with images and places. And mm -hmm. apparently it's a better way to learn. So I tried to help him work on a platform that had some of those visuals, had some mnemonics that you can uh, incorporate your own data with, uh, wow. you know, include some stuff from your own life. Um, I It was only for a few months. So yeah. we tried to work on that platform. I was mostly doing wireframes for him. But as far as I know now, last I checked on him, he continued with that idea on the side. Mm -hmm. um, and he's working more with augmented reality to like create those scenes as opposed to just being a like flat app you're looking at. Right. I, I could see how like with augmented reality that would like you're if you're in like a 3D space walking through it and then the objects have maybe the term and then you click on it and that, I, I can see that's some really cool use cases for that. That's awesome. Yeah. And you also I know you posted on TikTok about um, augmented reality for like medical usages. That's super cool, too. Like, I, I yeah, augmented reality that that's going to be interesting to see how that works out in the future, like. Like, will be people walk, walk people in the real world? Will they be walking in the real world or will they be walking in augmented reality? We're like, we won't know what they're seeing sometimes, maybe, you know, if they have like glasses on or something. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and it's it's kind of insane because uh, this idea has been around for a while. I've spoken to friends and family about it for a while. And for the past, like, I want to say year, we've seen people actually walking outside with headgear. 
Oh, and wow. I've seen tons of videos online of like some guy eating at a restaurant wearing a headset and he's like watching a YouTube while he's eating sushi in his own kind of world, right? And that's yeah, already yeah. happened. <laughs> you ever see that meme like goodbye real world, right? He has he's got put on the glasses, goodbye real world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but th there's this re reminds me of an old video too. This was like, I don't know, six or seven years ago of a video called like hyper reality. Okay. Where everyone's kind of wearing these glasses and the real world is super dull, but everything's augmented. So this person's like on a bus and they have like their chats popping up and like everything's gamified and they're walking through a supermarket. There's lights buzzing around, but then their gear malfunctions and like all the walls are gray and there's nothing oh. around them that has color or anything. That's a cool idea. Okay. Interesting. Hmm. I, it sounds like a black mirror episode, you know, like it could, that could like turn dark, you know, <laughs> So that's where it gets interesting. Like if the augmented reality becomes super prominent and everybody's using it, it's like, do, are we going to have worlds that aren't decorated? That like, if you don't have the headset, you're kind of missing out on all of the features, all the interactions you could have within that area. Right. Because I know in the filmmaking space, like for like a green screen, you have to have it like clean, flat, bare, right? And then that way you can, or like it could be any color, but it has to be like bare and clean, right? So then if that's the case, then I wonder if that would influence like, um, you know, what architecture and build, uh, you know, interior decoration in the future. It's like, hey, do we want people in the real space or an augmented, like they can put anything they want. Oh, it's okay. All right. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so as far as let's get into uh, a brief description of your work in Web3 and so obviously you're super curious about, you know, new tech and obviously web three comes along and from your interest in web three, you know, coming from finance, learning about crypto, uh, what was kind of like the start of your work in web three, what have you done before? And then what led you to machine dreams? Yeah. So I would say I started really getting more into web three besides investing was with community work. So I would meet with a friend who was like equally obsessed with this and we would meet every like once a week, I think it was like a Tuesday or something online. We would read through white papers. We would try to discuss like, what does this mean? You know, when Ethereum was coming out, um, new protocols. Uh, so it started off just kind of with a friend trying to understand what's going on. Then we expanded to bigger groups and we started a community called Mixed where we were just kind of teaching each other what's going on, trying to stay up to date with the space. Some people wanted to work in the space. So within that group, we had about like 100 people. Five went off to work at different companies like uh, Coinbase, Protocol Labs. So in that respect, it was pretty successful. And I went on to work at a blockchain consulting company uh, called Smith & Crown. Uh, had some really cool clients. To this day, I'm not really sure if I can talk about some of the clients okay. because uh, uh, no some need of the it, DAOs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some of the DAOs are like um, still building, um, but there was oh, wow. really fascinating projects that were coming out of that. Um, so I worked there for a few months, um, but they were, I think what they really needed was a economics person as opposed to like a project manager, which was what I was hired for. Mm. Um, so there it was kind of short lived and I found the Godwoken blockchain and, you know, emerged my interest with like gaming, with development. Um, and they had an opportunity for me to join with as a project manager for the incubator. So there would be kind of hearing people's pitches for their ideas for the network, helping them onboard to the network, helping with marketing, developing, and getting them from like an idea on paper all the way to mainnet. So I did that for a while. And then I started doing some developer relations work for Godwoken, uh, putting together tutorials on how to teach people to 
incorporate NFTs and crypto into their video games. And I held a few workshops at like East India, East Denver. Um, and that was going on for a few months, but the foundation kind of decided to pivot to another direction. So the team started to shrink for Godwoken. Um, and I basically was kind of looking for my next row. And I decided to take on another project while I'm in between jobs. Uh, so I landed on the Machine Dreams. It's an idea that I had for maybe a year or two. Um, I thought it was something that was within reach. I was going to be exposed to new technologies, but I thought it was possible for me to launch it. So that's why I went into it. Nice. So uh, you, uh, for those who don't know, please go check out themachinedreams.com. Uh, that's yeah, machine the machines drop uh, machine dreams.com. Uh, Jay has a, he, a YouTube where he talks about uh, the project. Uh, how about in your own words, what is machine dreams about? Yeah, so I feel like it's a, about a lot of my different interests. I wanted to create a project that uses these technologies that I was heard, hearing about, but didn't really build anything with prior. So, you know, artificial intelligence was coming around at this time. Uh, chat bots, AI, art bots. I wanted to get involved with that. NFTs have been around for a few years now. I wanted to get involved with NFTs, making my own art collection. I have tons of different ideas of separate collections. So I wanted to come up with an idea that merged those two, touch on some philosophy of like what's going on and I landed on the machine dreams. So what the machine dreams does is it takes what's trending online and generates a new piece of art every hour and allows you to mint that piece of art as an NFT. Um, and I didn't want it to stop there. Like I mentioned, I wanted to be commentary on what's going on. So I wanted to take some of the revenue that's being generated from the project and split it up between uh, NFT artists, uh, NFT holders, and the people who support us on social media. So for the NFT artists, uh, there's this idea that like maybe it's taking jobs uh, from people, these AI art bots. So I wanted to, it originally started off as like a UBI. I figured, you know, you can prove that you've created art. So I want to be able to randomly reward someone with 45% of our revenue every week, uh, random NFT artists. So I can see they've minted on the blockchain. They can prove they're an artist. And I figured I can give them a reward for that. Mm. Um, 35% would go to a holder because there's people here that are speculating. There's some that are buying the art for the actual art in itself. And I think there is some value to like creating pieces of art every hour based on what we're searching, what we're talking about as, as a country, really, because it's mostly focused on the U.S. Um, so it's a, I do think it's a legitimate art project in that sense. But some people are here just for the money. So what I wanted to do is give the opportunity for people to trade in their art that they purchased for a potential reward at the end of the week. Um, and see, like, are they buying it for the art or are they buying it because they're speculating on how much money they could win at the end of the week? Right. So that was uh, the second piece. And then the third piece was our supporters. Uh, there's plenty of people who support, you know, influencers online, different art projects, and they're never really rewarded for their contributions, but it has some economic value, right? There's marketers that pay for those impressions for people to share, try to get people talking about their projects, but those people are usually never rewarded. And I think about this idea with royalties where like there's a lot of people who are contributing in the world and contributing data and they're not getting any royalties. They're not getting anything for their work, but they're building up these billion dollar companies like Facebook, like Instagram, and they don't have a piece of ownership in any of it. So I wanted to kind of, figure out some sort of way to reward those people who are supporting the project. Mm. 
Yeah, like it reminds me a bit about um I don't know if you remember Andrew Yang. He he ran for pre president and he was talking about uh, he was one of the first people I heard talk about how our information, you know, uh I mean, people have been talking about it before, but he brought it to the forefront of like how our information from Google, from Facebook, from uh X, Twitter, it's 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 very valuable. It's a currency, right? Yet we don't have any access or any, you know, we don't make any money from that currency or from from giving up our information to these multi-billion trillion dollar companies, right? So no, that's an interesting thought. And I, I went through the website of the Machine Dreams and you spent like a year, like kind of going through all like the kind of the uh, the coding. So this is all you, 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 did, you built this all yourself. Well, so I wouldn't say all by myself, right? Okay. So like the AI art bot, that's Stability AI. Uh, they've created the models that generates pieces of art so that it uses their API. Um, I did get a lot of help from like ChatGPT to come up with the scripts. <laughs> it's very useful for programming now. Um, so, you know, I, I use a bunch of different tools to create this. I mean, for the like login that you do, you know, to connect your wallet, that's using an SDK. So, I mean, it's it's a service, but it... I'm also using tools that are that are built. Uh, so it's not it's never completely from scratch, right? Right. Anything right. you build, there's there's tons of people that contributed to it. That's amazing. Yeah. So uh about machine dreams, the the snapshot every hour, I find that idea pretty interesting. Like uh are you interested in like current events? Are you trying um uh, are you trying to be like maybe is there a certain message that you're trying to talk about as far as like capturing what the U.S. is going through every every hour? Or are you trying to be as politically, you know, unbiased as possible and just see, hey, this is what the machines are saying. I'm kind of curious about your thought, your the philosophy behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea, the idea started one way and then it kind of, you know, evolved as, as I went through the process. But originally, the trending data was supposed to be pulled from Twitter. Um, and the reason oh. why is because that's where the community is for Web3. And there's sometimes where Web3 specific things would be trending on Twitter. Um, but midway through the project, uh, they dropped their support for trending data. So you can't actually get any trending data from Twitter anymore. It's just oh. not an option. Got it. Okay. Um, so that was the original idea was let's see what people are talking about because it's usually gossip. It's usually something interesting. It's culturally relevant, mm. um, whatever's trending on Twitter. And I, I think it would have made for better images. Um, <laughs> okay. But once that support dropped, I had to go over to something else that was similar in nature that figured out what's trending. And I switched over to Google just because there's some scripts that were easily available that's been around for years to pull data from trending. Um, there you can specify different countries. Uh, as far as I know, there's not like a worldwide what's trending. So I had to kind of pick, all right, what country am I going to focus on? So there I landed on US. Um, and I found that it's it's mostly like sports, entertainment, uh, um, which is not where I really wanted it to land. Um, <laughs> but there are some interesting things that have happened, though, now that I've switched to that. It's, hmm. People are searching for things they're interested in or events that are happening. So there are some uncomfortable situations that have risen because of, of the project. So oh. when it first launched, like on day one, it was like, there was like a mass shooting, right? So oh. there's images being generated of that content. And a few weeks ago, there was like a stabbing at some like high school. 
and I got a notification of someone saying like, take this down. Oh no. And I was like, the image itself is not like, if you look at the image, you can't tell what it is. It's just a blur of colors, but you can read the headline and you can know this is what it's about. Uh, so that makes for uncomfortable situations. But then after thinking about it for a while, I felt like I can't take that kind of thing down. Right. Because it's, it's a reflection of what's happening. It's not something I decided to create. It's something that was trending online that the art bots picked up on and it created this piece of art. And sometimes art's uncomfortable and it addresses situations that are uncomfortable. Right. Cause I can see a situation where every time that would happen, if it sets a precedent, you would take it down. Then the, that would be a dishonest portrayal of, of what's happening in the U S or of what's trending, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's important to pick up on these things, right? Like, if this is something that's like constantly trending, like maybe we should probably do something about this, right? Right, right. Mm. So, yeah, I can see the case for like, oh, we don't want to like, you know, incite anything, but to report it and see what's trending. Yeah, I, I think that's to be honest. I think is is super important. Yeah. Now for so that that kind of goes into your inspirations, like so for your hopes and goals for machine dreams uh it, are you what's like maybe do you have an end goal in mind for machine dreams cuz so at the end of this project there'll be 10,000 work 10,000 pieces of of art right so where where are we right now in the timeline and what's what's do you have any hopes and goals like end goals for for this project yeah so, I mean, I estimated that the project would run for about 14 months. It's like 13 months. and a half, somewhere around there, um, just by taking how many, you know, hours are in a day, right. and, you know, pulling that out to whatever year, year and a half. 10,000, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's what is about 10,000 different pieces. At that point, I'll stop. And the 10,000 is mostly, you know, referring to like the 10K collections that NFTs came from and just kind of paying homage to that idea. Cool. And do you have a, uh, the goal, it sounds like is to pay back kind of like you mentioned UBI universal basic income. Another thing Andrew Yang was a proponent for, uh, but I believe Martin Luther King was also, uh, mentioned as well. And other, other notable people have spoken about. So is, are you a proponent of those kind of ideas of like, how can we use this tech that is, you know, being, that is that these big, huge companies are looking into getting into, uh, but eventually the spirit of like web three and decentralized tech was to, Oh, give more power to the people. Right. And so is that something that you are trying to do with this project? Like trying to give, uh, give back to like the NFT community, the NFT artists, the people who are, uh, liking, you know, retweeting your posts. Yeah. Yeah, so with the UBI idea, um, that was the original premise for rewarding the artists. After sharing it with a few people, I did some kind of like beta testing, um, shared it with a small close circle. And I had an advisor who has experience within the industry who said, instead of just giving these artists money, you should, you know, trade them whatever the prize is for one of their pieces of art. So it'll give them, you know, a reward for their art um, and give them a big purchase. Uh, there, I'm still kind of, not sure how I feel about that because mm. I realized as the experiment's been rolling out that like there may be an artist who doesn't have a piece of art that they want to sell for whatever the prize is at the time. Right. So there was like 
a week or two ago where the prize was like 0 0.045 ETH. So that'll work for like a super, you know, small uh, artist, someone trying to get into the space, but someone who's established that doesn't really make a difference. Um, so in that case, I wouldn't ever be able to purchase their art. I wouldn't be able to ever give them anything. Um, but they should also be able to win that prize. Um, so I'm still kind of back and forth on that idea. But as it stands, uh, what I do is I offer someone a bid on a piece of art that they submit to me um, and they can choose to either accept that bid or just, you know, keep their art. Got it. Now for your, so I know like using AI art is kind of controversial among artists, among the people in the space. So what are your personal thoughts on like using AI and to create art? Um, yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. That's uh, tricky because I see <laughs> a lot of the conversations going back and forth and I feel like I understand everyone's arguments. You know, the people who say this isn't really art, there's some people who say this is stealing because it was these AI models were trained off of artists' work that didn't consent to their work being used for these models. And there, there's just a lot of controversy around it. For me personally, I don't consider myself an artist. Um, I think I'm a creator. I develop things. I come up with different ideas, but I don't think that I'm an artist. I wouldn't categorize myself as that. I do think for some people, AI art is a new opportunity. Um, for the people, for me, who put it into perspective that this is something that's enabling is people with disabilities. I've seen people comment on threads like, hey, I can't write or I can't draw something physical. So this has now enabled me to create art where like, as you know, in the past, I had just no option. So from there, that was kind of eye-opening because it's you know a group of people I don't really consider. I don't have the same disabilities. I'm not going through those life experiences, but there it's opening a whole new world of opportunity for those people. So in that sense, it's, it's really enabling for them. But I do feel in some sense that like I'm seeing so much of this AI art that it's almost, uh, I don't want to say like reducing the value, but it feels like they're kind of throwaway art now. Mm. And when I look at like, the art that's being generated by this bot, it's almost like a headline that's being generated or like kind of a quick postcard image or something like that, where like, I'm not really the one to judge what's art and what's not, but for some reason, it doesn't feel as good as someone creating something, putting hours of work into it. Um, and I think over time, what's going to happen with AI art is when these technologies first came around, people were using it to enhance their art, to augment their art. So people learned Photoshop to you know, enhance their photos. People are learning editing software to enhance their drawings. And what I think is going to happen going into the future is it's going to flip, is that a lot of people are going to create art using AI technologies, but then they're going to augment the AI art with their human touches, with the elements from themselves, um, mm. their own styles. Did you hear about that guy, uh, he won like this first prize of like a big photography uh uh contest yeah and they found out later like oh he 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 won he made that photography using ai like that person that, that he photographed does not exist right did you hear about that yeah <laughs> yeah i did and it's kind of tricky because it's going to be harder and harder to tell what's real going into the future the only way you can really tell is by other ai bots Mm. analyzing the images and telling you if this is fake or not to be honest yeah it kind of makes me think of like you know um you know in school like oh should we have a can we use a calculator can we not use a calculator 
like uh okay maybe we should work out our brain more like but at the same time for that photographer he was working with that ai and you know tweaking it tweaking it and he's he probably spent a lot of time i mean not as much you know like he's probably spent a lot of time trying to get to a desired look that he wanted so there, it wasn't like he wasn't working he wasn't being creative at all you know he was being creative but using a tool so no that's it's it's a tricky thing but i don't think it's going to stop you know there's there's no way to stop that bus from from going yeah, yeah. ai bus yeah yeah so i don't think so either but there are so getting back to the futurist thing and like what yeah, yeah. what does this mean there are some things that i was thinking about the other day that are kind of concerned it's like it's going to allow me to do a lot more. I have ideas for like a movie or ideas for, yeah. you know, these different pictures or even games. And it's going to allow me to create all these things from scratch. But what does that mean for collaboration? Like if mm -hmm. I don't need to work with marketers, I don't need to work with artists. I don't need to work with engineers. Now we're our own kind of entities doing things in isolation. And does that mean that there's going to be like a small group of hyper successful people that know how to use these tools to their advantage and that everyone else is left out of the entire process. They can't contribute. You know, they don't maybe have the ideas to, to create their own things from scratch. Like, what does that mean for collaboration? And like, how do we relate to each other going into the future? That it's a fresh idea in my mind. And so far it's a bit concerning. Right. No, that's, uh, that kind of leads me to my next question. Like, um, what, what are your, as a futurist, right? <laughs> what do you think is your, is your outlook on NFTs? Uh, let's, let's break it down to two parts. NFTs, uh, is, what are your thoughts on NFTs? Like, does, what does the future hold for NFTs? Is it a bright future? Is it a, is it up and down future? Uh, what's, what's your thoughts? Yeah. So I think all technology is just power, right? It's just new powers. And ultimately it's up to the holder to what are they going to do with that power? Are they going to use it for good or are they going to use it for bad? So for NFTs, I think everything's going to be tokenized going into the future. Uh, everything mm. you own, uh, because that just makes for a better accounting system. If we understand what value exists in the system and we can easily make it more liquid, right? So you might have assets that are worth something in your house. You may need a loan. If you can prove that those things you genuinely own them. They definitely have a certain value. Maybe you can get a loan approved right away for an emergency you have based off of like, I don't know, your toaster, your fridge, and like some random items you have in your house, right? Yeah. So it'll allow you to be more liquid. But the flip side of that is people who maybe are more savvy with their money, who understand how to invest, they'll be able to leverage some of the items they have and maybe invest it properly, make more money. Um, but then there's some people who are going to liquidate everything they have, right? which is kind of the dark side of that. But ultimately, it's just power, it's opportunity, and it's what you do with it. Is it and then that could, uh, that relates to AI as well. You would say like people who can utilize AI to their advantage, they're going to be the ones who can, you know, get, you know, wealth, um, power. Uh, would you say that? Or is AI even darker? You know, like, <laughs> No, can, no, I definitely a, think it's yeah, could go both ways, you know, like yeah. Yeah, of course it could go both ways. Um, yeah, the people who use tools ahead of everyone else, they're always gonna be at an advantage. Uh, yeah. they're ahead of the curve. It's gonna be commonplace in all of our tools, our apps, internet of things, our devices at home. So whoever's more familiar with it and could make use of the data that's coming out of these things, they're gonna be ahead and they're gonna win this game. Gotcha. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, 
what are some projects or other any other projects or collaborations you're currently working on that you want to share? Anything you want to talk about? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so besides this, um, so I shared the machine dreams with a few different people, um, got some feedback on the project itself, and then some interesting conversations that have come out of it. One conversation that I've been excited about more recently is uh, LilyPad Network. So it's a network of decentralized computing. So that means, let's say I want to create an AI model from scratch. Um, normally, it would take like thousands of GPUs to run on my computer. But instead, I could run it on a network of computers. So instead of buying these GPUs for hundreds of dollars and spending millions of dollars to create my own model, mm. I can test it out by running each job on this network and being charged only for that one job to run. So that could help with me building my own AI model uh, for like art, for chatbots. But it also has implications for like, let's say, a social network. Instead of one centralized server running an algorithm for, let's say, like TikTok, you can have the user submit a request, have their algorithm spit something out, and maybe they're paying for it through like a subscription, the way you would pay for something like Netflix, right? Gotcha. So paying $10 a month allows them to run a certain amount of jobs, retrieve a certain amount of data. And what that allows is someone who's small to come in, come up with these ideas that could challenge you know, a new social network without them incurring all those costs. Um, so I'm pretty excited to see where that goes. I'm doing some kind of DevRel work for them on the side. Uh, I, they actually published a newsletter today that includes a tutorial I put together on how to create a front end for a website where you incorporate their technology on the back end. Oh, um, nice. So that, that's been pretty interesting recently. Lilypad, yeah. Nice. Cool, man. All right. Um, and, yeah, go ahead. And I guess the other thing I'll be working on uh, going into the new year, um, I recently signed on to... Uh, chain safe gaming so i'll be doing some devrel work with nfts video games teaching people how to uh incorporate you know nfts and blockchains into their video games so that'll be an interesting adventure over the next year awesome man yeah and you get because i mean yeah you can get your interest into gaming uh i guess like getting get more into gaming that's awesome yeah yeah i i think for uh the yeah, I, I went to a conference not too long ago, and they were talking about NFT gaming and um, uh, Decentral Tokyo, and yeah, I think we're 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 going there, but it's, I guess we're still not there yet. Like having to sign every time you get like equip a new item or something that could get annoying, right? So I think, but people are already thinking about these problems and, and trying to work them out. But yeah, uh, yeah. so yeah, so yeah. Go sorry go for ahead. that in particular. Uh, just, just that uh, specifically, uh, there's already. Uh, you know, solutions for that. There's just discussing how to roll out those solutions. Um, but I know at least four to five teams that have already come up with a solution for those kind of things. So I think the industry is well aware that user experience is a huge hurdle for getting people into this space. Um, those are being addressed. And I think the end game, once you see it, it's it'll be in every game and all your apps and you won't even know you're using crypto. You won't know it's an NFT, mm. but it's going to allow you to easily exchange these assets to buy, sell, trade, to bet against people. It's going to enable a lot without you realizing you're using the technology. Right. It's kind of like having the awesome games we have today, but just having like the Web3 in the background, kind of like working in the background. You don't even have to worry about it. Got it. Yeah. And. All of the major consoles, they're already discussing this. I mean, Xbox, there was a paper that leaked that said that at their next console, they're looking to integrate Web3 wallets. So this is already at the top of the mind for major game companies. And the thing people don't realize is that like 
Look at Grand Theft Auto 6 that's coming out. It takes 10 years to make some of these big titles. So for gaming to really come out, it's going to be years. Yeah, gotcha. How can people get in touch uh, with you? Uh, What's the best way to reach you and and learn more about your work and your projects? Yeah, Yeah, so anyone can reach out to me on Twitter, uh, J underscore Albert underscore. Um, That's probably the best place. Uh, I'm also always on Discord. Um, so yeah, you can reach out to me there. My website has all my links. So if you want to find out, you know, my Twitter, TikTok, I recorded some videos actually on TikTok. I have a whole video, like a three minute video on what are the implications of blockchains and gaming. So if you're interested Mm. in that, I, I go through a bunch of different use cases there. Um, Uh, but yeah, check out my website, jonathan-albert.com and you can find any way to contact me there. Awesome. jonathan albert.com please check that out i did see that video that was super cool like the use cases that you mentioned about you know equipping items as we mentioned and and using the cross different platforms so cool stuff so thank you so much i uh thank you for sharing your precious time with me and uh yeah all the best and uh cool uh hopefully we'll speak again and catch up uh maybe see where machine dreams goes and maybe catch up at uh, uh as further along the timeline yeah Yeah. Thanks, James. You know, I'm always in for it. I can talk about Web3 forever. Um, So yeah, it was a great, great chat. uh, And I'm always up for a next one. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. And see you all soon. Bye.